Good morning, Bethesda Church. Thank you, Cardona family, for that wonderful song. And uh, I just want to give a shout out. Um, you know, we've been doing this online for a number of weeks. And um, uh, to make it happen, it's a team effort. Uh, we got a small team here every Sunday and uh, people working behind the scenes. And so I just want to give a shout out to Mike Guthrie, uh, Jim Cutshaw, Shelby Vandenhook, and Pastor Anthony. Uh, they're up helping with the sound and the camera and uh, all that to make everything work. And then Jeremy and Lorena and their family, Miranda, who's not here today, but she's been here helping with music, Julia, Allison, and Isabel, and Josh Hofer, thank you all uh, for your efforts. Um, they've just been a blessing and uh, just shows that we have to have a team effort uh, to make it work. So just thankful for how we're able to pull together and uh, bring this worship service to you through this uh, medium. Uh, today is Mother's Day, and so I do want to bring a message to mothers today, but it'll be to all of us. And um, um, today I'm going to talk about mothers that make a difference, uh, but before I do that, I thought it'd be good. I came across some things I thought were a little bit humorous. Uh, when we think about it in terms of a mother's vocabulary, um, mother's vocabulary. For instance, a dumb waiter. A dumb waiter to a mother is one who asks if the children would really care to order a dessert. Um, feedback. The inevitable result when the baby doesn't appreciate the strained carrots. All mothers have experienced that, I'm sure, the feedback from a, a baby. Uh, full name. When you call your child when you're angry with him. That's what you call your child. <laughs> uh, grandparents, the people who think your children are wonderful, even though they're sure you're not raising them right. I think a lot of parents have felt that. Um, independent, how we want our children to be for as long as they do everything we say. <laughs> uh, puddle, a small body of water that draws out other small bodies wearing dry shoes into. Show off, a child who is more talented than yours. This is a good one. I really like this one. Who done it? None of the children who live in your house. <laughs> and, of course, another mom favorite is bottle feeding, an opportunity for daddy to get up at 2 a.m. Hallelujah. I'm reminded, too, of how mothers are... They're just amazing at how they are able to use intuition and figure things out um, to make things work when dad's not around. And uh, One day, this lady named Liz was assembling some furniture, and she asked her friend's six-year-old son, Ricky, to bring her a screwdriver. He said, do you want a daddy screwdriver or a mummy screwdriver? Ricky politely inquired. Confused by the question, Liz responded with, bring me a mummy screwdriver. Ricky returned and handed her a butter knife. <laughs> That's what mothers are good at. They just make things work. Um, they're able to do that. And I've got to share one more just short story here that I, I thought was humorous. Um, uh, a man named Edward was a big game hunter. And he goes on a safari in Kenya with his wife, Frances, and his mother-in-law, Agnes. One evening, while still deep in the jungle, Frances awakes to find her mother, Agnes, has disappeared. 
Rushing to Edward, she insists on them both trying to find her mother. Sighing heavily, Edward picks up his rifle and he starts to search for Agnes. Soon in a clearing not far from the camp, they come upon a frightening sight. Agnes, the mother-in-law, is backed up against a thick, impenetrable bush. And a large male lion is standing facing her. Francis cries out in panic, Edward, what are we going to do? Nothing, Edward explains calmly. Absolutely nothing, my dearest. The lion got himself into this mess. Let the lion get himself out. (laughs) I thought that was good. Wish I could hear you laugh. Um, Here's an interesting bit of trivia. One man pointed out that of the 69 kings of France, only three were really loved by their subjects, and that these were the only ones who were reared by their mothers instead of by tutors or guardians. And then this man goes on to say, whatever ability most of us have to make others love us is largely due to the love our mothers put in and around our lives. Paul, in his last letter that he wrote before he died and went to heaven, before he was executed in 2 Timothy, he gives a good reminder to Timothy to encourage him to be faithful in his ministry. And here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands." For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Today, in talking about moms that make a difference, I want to offer up six characteristics of mothers that make a difference. I'm going to spend the bulk of the time in the first three, and the last three will just get honorable mention, uh, because we won't have time to expand all of them but I do want to at least mention them as well. So six characteristics of mothers that make a difference. The first characteristic we see here is Paul says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So the first characteristic of moms that make a difference is to model genuine faith by your daily example. Model genuine faith by your daily example. You see, moms are role models for their children. Modeling has been said to be the greatest form of unconscious learning. Lois taught Eunice, Eunice taught Timothy about her faith in God. And both Lois, the grandmother, and Eunice, the mother, taught Timothy that God is trustworthy. They relied on the Lord throughout their lives and found God to be faithful in what he said. And what an example that was to Timothy. And that would be our challenge to mothers today, to be faithful and to pass on that faith to your children. 
Timothy got to observe how Lois and Eunice handled their relationships. How they handled their relationships was teaching Timothy how to handle relationships in his life through their modeling. Let's think for a moment about even the names. Lois's name means agreeable or desirable. She certainly agreed with the ways of God and desired to follow him in all her ways. The family lived in Lystra, where many people would have been worshiping the gods of Greece. But she was not swayed and stayed faithful and true to the Lord. Today, we have many gods that our kids can worship. God of pleasure, God of possessions, God of materialism, God of indulgence, God of self-fulfillment. But think about Lois. She was not swayed, and she stayed faithful to the Lord. Her name means agreeable or desirable. In other words, there's a pleasantness and a desire to be around this kind of person. A Lois-type grandmother will have people who want to lean in to hear what they are saying. I hope you're that kind of mother especially if you're a mother with some years of experience behind you, that you have a pleasantness and a desire about you, that people want to lean in and hear what you have to say because they see how you live your life. You're a pleasant person. You're an agreeable person. What wonderful qualities. You see, a person who models faith will not only attract their own children to them, but they will attract others as well. So let me ask you a question. Are you more like a magnet or a cactus? I remember Life Action uh, years ago came to our, our church in Virginia, and, and this was one of the questions that came out. Are you more like a magnet or a cactus? You see, a magnet attracts and a cactus repels. A mom who is like a magnet is approachable, but a mom who is like a cactus tends to be cold in distance. Actually, Social distancing kind of comes natural to a cactus. <laughs> a magnet mom in the grocery store, she doesn't just pick up her groceries. She stops and talks to people and ministers to people even in the middle of Walmart. Why? Because she's a magnet. She's pleasant. She's desirable. She wants to share her faith with people. Whereas a cactus will be frazzled and frustrated and so moody, if you see them in the bread aisle... You want to quickly get to the soup aisle. You just don't you, don't, you don't want to be around them. And yet Lois was the kind of person that people wanted to be around. Timothy wanted to be around his grandmother. Be that kind of person that you want your kids and grandkids to be around you. So are you more like a magnet mom or a cactus mom? Then let's think about Eunice. Her name, a Greek name, comes from the word Nike which stood for the Greek goddess of victory. Her name actually means conquering well and was an expression of a good victory. Eunice lived up to her name. She had a victory over the immoral culture in which they lived and raised a godly son in Timothy. That's the kind of mom that makes a difference. A mom who is an overcomer, a mom who is victorious, a mom who will not bow to the immoral culture, a mom who will protect her children from that immoral culture. 
Eunice undoubtedly had to have some challenges in her home as well. It is quite possible that Eunice was married to an unbeliever. Because when we look in the Scripture, we notice that it tells us that Timothy's father was a Greek. It tells us that he would not have been reared in the Jewish faith. Nowhere do we see where Timothy's father had a major influence in Timothy's life spiritually. In Acts 16.1, it says this, Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And it says nothing about his father knowing the Lord or being a believer. And so we see that that job and that task fell to Eunice, the mother, who did a wonderful job in, in raising him. Eunice appears to be a woman of great faith and great spiritual strength. She makes her marriage work even though she's married to an, a seeming unbeliever. She's a living testimony to her husband through her purity of life and her reverence for God. She apparently demonstrates a submissiveness to her husband so that he can be won over without words by the behavior of his wife. That's what Peter encouraged wives to be for those who were married to unbelievers. And that's what we see in the life of Eunice. She had to be that kind of woman. And here's Timothy, all eyes and all ears, watching, observing, learning, growing, being modeled of how to live that kind of life. She possessed an unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which was of great worth in God's sight. Notice that he says, I have been reminded, he says, of your sincere faith. It lived in your grandmother Lois. It's a living, active faith. And it also lived in your mother Eunice. And he said, now I'm persuaded it lives in you. You see, they were a magnet that attracted Timothy to the faith. Sincere faith means to be without hypocrisy. Their faith was genuine. It was authentic. It was a faith that was consistent through thick and thin, up and down, good days and bad days. Uh, good times and bad times, prosperity and blessing, as well as times of leanness and difficulty. Uh, one of the reasons for Timothy's strong faith was the daily example of his mother and his grandmother. Paul also recalls Timothy's tears. Um, he had to be a man of strong faith, but he was also possessed a tender heart. Uh, he was not afraid to show his true emotions. I'm reminded of the words in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread as an example of faith, trusting God to provide for our daily needs, and also persevering in the faith. Paul tells Timothy and this same book and later in chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. What about Timothy's name? Timothy's name means one who fears God, a name picked by his faithful mother. Timothy became a servant of Christ because he saw that modeled in his mother and grandmother. Let me encourage you in some practical things I think you can do today to help model that for your kids and your grandkids. And I, I've mentioned this before, but I want to mention it again. Pull, blow the dust off your wedding album. 
pull it out, start working through the pages, and show your kids the pictures. Talk about your wedding ceremony. Why did you have the music you had in there? Why did you have the vows you had in there? Why did you incorporate that in there? What, what was your purpose in that? To share that with your kids. Have them think about, especially if they're teenagers, to start thinking one day about their own wedding. What are they going to incorporate into that wedding? What kind of spouse, what kind of mate are they hoping to attract? One who fears God, one who is pleasant and agreeable, one who is an overcomer, one who has victory in their life spiritually. Um, it would be good to do that and talk about that. What are they looking for in a mate? Um, talk about your family. Talk about the generations of your family, especially if they have been in the faith for a while. Uh, talk about marriage, that it's between one man and one woman. Talk about how God made us male and female, that our identity comes from God. And then, too, as your children reach that teenage age, uh, and I've mentioned this before and I'm going to mention it again because usually you say you have to mention something at least seven times before it, it takes. Um, and, and we found this to be a great tool that we used in our family with our, our boys, uh, the Passport to Purity put out by Family Life. It's a kit comes in a little box, and it's designed to have a weekend getaway with your kids, uh, but to teach them uh, about relationships and about purity. Uh, it's a great, great thing. I look back with great, fond memories. I still remember when Ryan and I went to a water slide park, and we spent a couple days there. Um, and then we also talked about the passport to purity. And it was a special time, and at the end of that time, I gave him a Bible um, with his name on it and, and encouraged him to make that his guidebook for life. And we have those opportunities. Take those opportunities and use them um, as God gives you opportunity. Uh, research shows that youth need three key relationships uh, in their life uh, to maintain their faith into adulthood. And I just want to mention these uh, to you. This comes out of a project, uh, a major research project called National Study of Youth and Religion. And they found these three factors to be very important factors for teenagers to carry their faith into adulthood. Number one, the young person's parents practiced the faith. We see this. Lois, Eunice, even though he had a father that wasn't a believer, he had a grandmother and mother, and that alone encouraged him to embrace the faith. So the young person's parents practice the faith in home and daily life, not just in church and public settings. Number two, the young person had at least one significant mentor or friend other than parents who practiced their faith seriously. Here we see in this passage, Timothy had Paul, a mentor and a friend who discipled him, who modeled for him godliness. That is so needed in our day. And maybe you can help your kids pray about that and think about a person that they can have in their life who can be that model for them that they need. A young man needs another man uh, who can model, who's further down the road, who has learned from their mistakes as well as successes. 
Um, and a young lady needs a, a, a woman to, to guide her and give her that uh, modeling. Number three, the young person had at least one significant spiritual experience before the age of 17. Now, those are not hard, fast things, but they are certainly, from research, shows that these things help uh, bring about um, them carrying their faith forward into adulthood. In other words, teenagers are most likely to retain their Christian faith into adulthood if they've had a meaningful and healthy relationship with their parents, a faithful Christian mentor outside the family, and with God himself. So those are some things that I would encourage in that. Well, let's move on. The second characteristic uh, of moms that make a difference, not only modeling the faith, but make God's word a priority in your home. Make God's word a priority in your home. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. This, these are God's words. It is inspired, it is infallible, it's authoritative and powerful. And we have to remember that. They're not our words. They're not man's words. They're God's words. So all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Do we really believe that the Word of God is profitable as we speak it into the lives of our, our kids? It says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. Now think about this. Let's go back to Lois and Eunice's day, Timothy's day. How many copies of the Bible were available? Answer, not many. Not many at all. So for them to make God's word a priority in their home, it would have been written on a papyrus scroll. There wouldn't have been many available that was a very serious priority. Those copies would have been very, very precious. Even Paul, when he was in prison, he told uh, one of his disciples, bring me the scrolls uh, so he could have them. So it wasn't readily available. Go to my home, we got copies of the Bible everywhere. So we have, we have it available, but we have to use it. Um, so let me encourage you. Why do we make God's word a priority? Why, why is it such a big deal for parents to do this? Because, listen, as parents, as moms, as dads too, we are the biggest conduit for our kids to learn about God. We really are. So here's the question. How big is our conduit? Is it this big? Is it like the size of a straw? Or is it like the size of a sewer pipe big big well how can we measure uh, the size of our conduit let me give you some suggestions on the measure the size of your conduit so you can tell well what size of conduit do I really have let me give you some ideas um, how's your faithfulness to the Lord you see, the more faithful you are to God, the bigger your conduit is that's going to pass from you to your children. So how big is your faithfulness? So here's the question. How consistently do I take God's word into my life? That will determine the size of my conduit. I can't pass on what I don't possess. I can't give what I don't have. It's got to be a part of me if I'm going to give it to somebody else. 
So how consistently do I do that? How is God's word changing me? And how can I share that with my kids? How do you speak to your husband? Do you speak sarcastically or graciously? Are you critical or complimentary? How about your nonverbals? I've been around some couples sometimes and I'm almost embarrassed when I see uh, how one spouse is talking and the other spouse is sitting there or standing there just rolling their eyes. What does that say? It's, it's actually a sign of disrespect. Now, what are we going to teach our kids if our kids see that? So these are questions. What is the size of conduit we want for our kids to grasp? All right, let me give you some other ideas for the size of our conduit. What about our love for God and people? Is our love for God so evident with our kids that they say, Dad's number one priority in his life is his relationship with God. I know that. I, because why? Because I see it. I see what my dad does. I see how he operates. I see his love for God. And I see his love for people. It's the greatest commandment and second greatest commandment, right? So the size of our conduit will be determined by our love for God and our love for other people. Um, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but just our prayer life as well. Um, You know, do we pray? Do we pray before meals? Do we pray in public? Uh, Do we pray with our children over their struggles, fears, and insecurities? Um, Those are all very important things. Uh, What about our fellowship in the church? Of course, right now we can't gather. But normally, under normal circumstances, prior Pre-COVID-19, what about our fellowship in the church? Um, Are there certain people you would avoid in the fellowship? Um, If this is true, I can guess you probably don't pray for that person. Um, Are you a magnet or a cactus? It all determines the size of your conduit of what you're going to pass on to your kids. Uh, Biblical convictions. Can you defend what you believe from the scriptures? Well, I need to move on. But those are some ways we can measure the size of our our conduit. Um, And many, many others. And I'm going to have to skip through some of these. The third characteristic that we want to look at in Moms Making a Difference is to maintain a vibrant prayer life. Maintain a vibrant prayer prayer life. Now, we don't really see in this text, it doesn't tell us what Lois and Eunice's prayer life was like, but we do know that they had a sincere faith. And we do know that sincere faith is committed to the Word of God and are people of prayer. Those those would certainly be implications that we could draw from other Scripture. So, maintaining a vibrant prayer life Uh, pray for your children to have a teachable spirit. I think that is one of the greatest things that we can pray for our children is to have a teachable spirit. Uh, That they would not become to the point where they close their ears to the truth and they don't want to listen to instruction anymore. The Bible speaks over and over and over about listening, especially in Proverbs. Pay attention, listen, uh, and how important that is. Pray that they would humbly accept God's word and it would fall on good soil in their heart. 
not only pray for your children, but pray with your children. I can't imagine a parent saying, well, you go ahead and say your prayers. <laughs> you just go ahead, and they never hear you pray. Children learn to pray by hearing mom and dad pray. We need to set that example of prayer. Help them realize, too, that prayer is also listening to God. Uh, the prophet Samuel, when he was a uh, young boy, he was learning to hear God's voice, and he thought Eli, the priest, was calling him. He jumped up three times, and he went in, and he said, you've called me. Here I am. And Eli realizes what was happening. He said, no, God is speaking to you. Go back and lay down, and, and if you, you hear that voice again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Man, what a great encouragement to teach our kids as moms and dads to listen to the voice of God. We used to pray with our boys in the car, uh, taking trips. Um, we prayed with our boys in the car when we heard a siren go off. Now, even now, even today, when I, hear, I heard a siren just the other day, I, I immediately thought about praying for the reason that siren was going off. It looks like somebody is hurt, somebody needs something, somebody's in need, uh, and just to pray uh, about that and, and teaching us to have that spirit of prayer. It talks about pray without ceasing, and that's a lot easier said than done, but to be in a spirit of prayer uh, throughout the day. We also prayed with our boys when their hamster climbed into the furnace and was seriously injured, and Ryan got out the phone book, and he was wanting to call the vet immediately, and it's 9.30 at night. Vets aren't open at 9.30, and I'm really glad because we weren't spending money to take that hamster to a vet. But we did pray with them about it because why it teaches them that when you have a problem when you have a situation you can pray and uh, Ryan if you're watching this I didn't mention your name oh excuse me um, yeah he really had a that, he had that pastor's heart wanting to fix that hamster I think about the example of Dr. Ben Carson um, who now is into politics, but he was a world-famous surgeon, and he performed more than 400 operations a year, mostly brain and spinal surgeries. Besides his faith, his mother is one of the chief reasons he became one of the premier brain surgeons in the United States. Dr. Carson said of his mother, she was one of 24 children. She got married at age 13, found out that her husband was a bigamist, and she only had a third grade education. And the thing about my mother, he said, is she never adopted a victim's mentality. She prayed. She asked God to give her wisdom because my brother and I, he said, were terrible students. And he said, God heard the prayer of my mother. Today, he said, Carson's brother is an engineer. And Ben went from being ranked as the worst student in the fifth grade class to being named head of the pediatric neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins when he was only 33 years old, the youngest in the nation at the time. On the occasion of its 200th anniversary, the Library of Congress named him one of the 89 living legends. And in 2001, he was chosen by CNN and Time Magazine as one of America's top 20 physicians and scientists. Why? He had a mother like Eunice, who prayed. The power of prayer 
of a mother goes a long way. Well, I'm going to mention these other three really quick because we have a song we're going to do here at the end. But I said I would give them honorable mention, so here they are. The fourth characteristic is to mobilize a group of prayer partners. Get some other people, some other moms around you or dads to get dads and, and, and develop your own little prayer group that you pray for your kids and that God would help you. Here we see Paul again, what an example. So get a, get a, mobilize a group of prayer partners. The fifth characteristic, monitor your children's media intake. Um, this is a lot easier said than done. There is so much media out there. I mean, we've got the phone in our pocket. We've got the, the iPads and all the laptops and, and the various things that we have. But somehow to try to monitor their intake. What are they taking in? Uh, talk about it. Be aware of what they are involved in. What kind of games and things they're, they're playing. Because they're, they're very serious games that are difficult and, and not very pleasant. So keep that in mind. And then the last one I would mention uh, is to the sixth characteristic uh, of moms that make a difference. Motivate your children to be involved in ministry by your words and your service. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy 1.6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul along with Lois and Eunice, are seeking to motivate Timothy to be involved in ministry by their words and their service. And what kind of ministry did Timothy have? He had a great ministry. Paul told him that there was no one else like him who cared for the people. And so Timothy's faith was so genuine. His ministry was so effective and that's what we want with our kids. We want their faith to be genuine. We want their ministry to be effective for the cause of Christ. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. And as I close this in prayer, we're going to have a closing hymn today. And it's fitting because we're going to close. Uh, Lorena and the praise team are going to lead us in Great is Thy Faithfulness. We have a faithful God who wants us to be faithful and to pass that faithfulness off to our kids. And so I want to just say happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. And may God help all of us to put these things into practice, that we would seek to be a magnet and not a cactus. Let's pray and then we'll sing. hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.